at CLC. We want to say happy Father's Day, I think for the fourth time uh, today so far. So happy Father's Day. Can we give our fathers a round of applause? They're awesome. Our dads. We want to take a moment, and if you're a dad, uh, if, if you have a dad or you're near a dad, why don't you just love on them, hold them, grab them. Some of them need comforting uh, as they're in the fetal position, thinking about all the responsibilities of life. Uh, let's take a moment. We just want to pray for our dads as we begin our service and before we get into the Word of God. Father, we thank you, first of all, for you being the ultimate Father to us, our Heavenly Father, demonstrating your love uh, God, by dying on a cross for us, it's amazing, Lord, your sacrifice. And we thank you for the sacrifices that the fathers here make. Lord, will you bless them, God? Will you encourage them? Will you give them wisdom, Lord, and strength to fight, God, the fight that they have before them and helping raise up and teach and train and instruct children and be fathers and do the things that they do, God. I just ask for your spirit to be with them, to guide them, Lord, and, and, and God, that you will strengthen them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We love our dads. We have a treat for you. Uh, donuts for dads out there. If you haven't got your donut to help your dad bod, we want to help you with that. You can have mine because I'm the opposite. I'm trying to go the other direction from the dad bod. Um, so too many years of donuts. Uh, so gee, you can have mine. You work out. So uh, there you go. Hey, so if you're new with us, we are in for the whole summer, the book of John, and we're going through it. I wish we could get through all of John 3 today, but we're only going to hit about 21 verses. So you can join our starter, clcstarter.com, which is a daily devotional we do with some of our teachers here at CLC, and they will go all the way through the whole chapter as we're staying in the book of John as a church. There's something powerful that happens when we all dive in the Word together. You know the Word is powerful. It brings life, it brings understanding, especially through the lens of the gospel of Jesus. And so it's exciting to be able to go through the scripture. I want to, before we get into John 3 today, I want to hit our kind of theme verse that we've been using from John 1. And the book of John was written by the Apostle John, who was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, the original disciples. And it's actually the last book of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not just in order in your Bible, but the last also chronologically that was written. And so John writes this later in his years and uh, brings some incredible insight. One of the things I, I believe, kind of the, one of the theme verses, if you will, it's hard to say the only theme, but one of the themes that we're kind of looking at as we're looking looking at the Gospel of John, comes out of this verse starting in John 1 as John sets up all of his letter here. And he says this, and the Word, which is Jesus, the Word, it became flesh, it became living and flesh like among us and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been talking about this term full of grace and truth. So many times we have an idea of a God that's like half grace or half truth or all grace and there's no truth. Just He's just full of love and compassion. Or we have a God or a mentality, and some of us have this even with our fathers, if you will, of all just harshness and truth and just reality and no grace. So you're either feel like an orphan without a dad or you're a spoiled kid because you just get everything you want and there's no truth given to you through discipline and through just honesty because we live in a harsh world and we need the truth. 
Jesus isn't just half and half or part. It says he's full of both. And we've explored this in John chapter 2. The past two weeks we've been in John 2. And we saw first Jesus making wine out of water, a miraculous thing, but seeing grace and truth in that and how full of grace and truth Jesus is. Last week we saw Jesus coming to the temple and making a whip, not wine, but a whip. And we see truth and grace in the midst of that. And he's coming not just with wine, but also with a whip. And so we're kind of exploring how we believe John is paving this way for who Jesus is. Now before we get into John 3, we ended last week where the scripture said that Jesus had many people coming to him and saying, you're the Messiah, you're the one. We, we, we believe in you. And it said they believed because of the signs that he did, the miracles that he performed. And it also said at the end of John 2 that Jesus knew what was in their heart. So he didn't entrust himself to them because they just wanted him for his stuff not for who he was and what he actually brought. And it leads us right into John 3. And so we've seen Jesus in a wedding, which is a, a very strong ceremonial type thing that you see in Jewish customs and cultures. You see Jesus in the temple, which was obviously a very custom thing in religion that the Jews would do. And now we're gonna see him with a teacher, this guy named Nicodemus. In all of these aspects, as people are seeing the miraculous and the things that Jesus is doing and the signs, they're trying to figure Jesus out. Just like you probably would or maybe have in your life. Who is this Jesus? Imagine some character that comes on the scene in 2019 and out of nowhere and they're doing just these amazing things in our culture. And we're hearing all of these things on Twitter and, and Instagram and all of these things happening about this one person. You're going to want to investigate and know about this person and what they believe you're going to want to try to figure out who they are. And a lot of times we love to figure people out really in order to help us ultimately. I think like our culture today, our culture gives you a purple star, a, a trophy for everything, right? You, you, you're so special. And if everybody is special and unique, then nobody is special and unique anymore ultimately. So what is culture trying to say? They're trying to say you're special and we want to pull that specialness out of you so that we can give you something and sell you something. We're trying to figure you out so that now we can use you as a product. I'll give you an example. How many of you guys have ever done a Google search recently? And next thing you know, that same ad is on your Facebook. It's on your Alexa talking to you. Would you like to buy, right? It's everywhere. Why? Because once we figure you out and what you buy and your habits, now we can put you in this box and we can use you. We've got you. I mean, you can't even go to Walgreens to buy some gold bond without them getting your phone number. You want my, what? You want my number? Like, why do you need my number? You know, I'm married. Leave me alone. I've got enough responsibility. I don't need to hand you my number. But no, no, see, we want to know about you because you're special and unique. And the more we can know your habits and what you're buying and purchasing, the more we'll figure you out and we'll be able to sell you more things. You're unique because you help us. You add something to me and my bottom line. You're not unique because you are a person made in the image of God. You're unique because you have something to offer me. That's our culture. And that's our culture trying to figure you out. And that's us trying to figure God out. 
And that's these people trying to figure Jesus out. And what I love about Jesus is if you read through the book of John, you notice he ain't playing games. He doesn't live by the same system. He has different rules. He's moving and people are astonished by him. But that's ultimately what gets him killed as well. Check out John chapter 3. As we like to do, we love the word of God. So we're going to read it all the way through and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Read with me here John chapter 3 verse 1. We're going to go to 21. Here we go. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, uh, how, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things, and you did, do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Will you pray with me? Father, bless your word. Open our hearts that we can hear. Lord, you say truly, truly speak truth to us. Minister with grace in Jesus' name. Amen. John 3, verse 1. What's going on here? Let's start from the beginning again. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Let's talk for a second about Pharisees. Pharisees um, comes from the word Pharisee, Pharis, which means set apart one. A lot of times when we use the term holy, oh, that person's holier than thou. You understand holy just means set apart. So it's actually a good term. Like that person is different, set apart from all of these other people. They're different in a good way. And so a Pharisee was one that would set them set themselves apart from the culture to study the scriptures, to know the scriptures. Not only was this guy Nicodemus a Pharisee, but it says he was one of the rulers of the Jews. Some believe and some have inferred, and you can see in the gospel, that he was a part of the high council of the Sanhedrin, which you need to think about. What's that? You need to think about like the supreme judicial court. Like one of the main judges. Or think also like the dean of religious studies. Like this guy knows scripture, has memorized memorized the Old Testament, the Torah. Okay, He knows all of it by heart. Has probably known it for decades. And we, we know and we recognize he is a, an older gentleman. And he comes to Jesus when? It says this. This man came to Jesus by night. I think that's an actually very interesting point. He wasn't trying to come during the day to be seen with Jesus around everybody, but by night. He's kind of sneaking in going, I need to talk to this dude. I need to figure this guy out. I need to figure out how he fits in my understanding and my plan of God and our sect of religious understanding and studies as Pharisees. So I'm going to sneak in. I'm going to come. I don't want anybody to know, but I'm going to come representing my people and my tribe to see who Jesus is and what he is about. He's sneaking around and coming to him by night for a reason. And he said to him, Rabbi, I think he's already flattering him, teacher. That's what that means. Teacher. So imagine rough, let's say this man is 60 years old, has been studying scripture and memorized scripture longer than Jesus has been alive, who's roughly 30 years old. Imagine this, like this fatherly, grandfatherly figure coming to this young man who's just new on the scene and causing all these problems and all these things, but there's something miraculous about him and he wants to figure him out. And he says, teacher, imagine he's already going, yeah, you know, I'm calling you teacher. That's a big deal because I'm a big deal. Rabbi, we know who's we. All of our, our Pharisees, I'm representing the Pharisees. I'm the ambassador. We know that you are a teacher come from God. First of all, he's a teacher. They just see him as a teacher, a philosopher. And they says, how do we know you're a teacher and yet you're from God specifically? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. They recognize there's something on you and different about you for the miraculous to flow out of you. There's something about you. We recognize that. And I, we just, I just want you to know right away, we recognize God's with you. 
I think there's a lot more he's trying to say. You ever talk to somebody and they come and they flatter you and they say something, but you know what they're trying to get to? I think ultimately he's trying to figure out, where do you land? Are you with us? Are you a part of my political party and my agenda and what we're going to do? We recognize what you're doing. And I love, I love, love, love what Jesus does. He doesn't go, yeah, you know, I'm a pretty good teacher. I mean, I appreciate that. Nick, you're awesome. Nick at night coming up, showing up at midnight. I love, man, you're awesome. He doesn't do that. Look what Jesus does. He like, like, check this out. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, First of all, when Jesus says truly, truly, okay, we don't use this terminology. Like I don't come to Scott and say, truly, truly, Scott, the Golden State Warriors are going to lose the NBA finals. <laughs> truly, truly. We don't, if you talk like that, you're weird. Please don't. Like you've, you've gone next level weird, okay? Um, Jesus, because this is how they talked in their culture. They would use words twice to denote kind of emphasis. And really, here's what he's saying. Bro, here's the truth. Here's what's going on. I ain't playing around. Here's the deal. Because he's like, let's cut the junk. I know what you're trying to do, and I'm not playing that game. Here we go. And he's doing it respectfully because Jesus is a gentleman, but he's also God. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, there's authority behind this 30-year-old punk kid to him. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, you see that I'm a teacher and you see that I'm, uh, God is with me, but you don't really see because you have to be born again to see. This word born again is anathon, again, born again, anathon, which means born from above. It also denotes being born again, as you can see with Nicodemus' response. And Nicodemus, candidly, he's not dumb. He's not going, so what you're trying to tell me, Jesus, is like you got to go back into the womb. Like, that's not, he's not dumb. Remember, he's coming very pious. He's now being sarcastic with him. Okay, you want to be real? Well, you're real sounds crazy. So you're, so you're trying to say you got to go back into the womb. You're nuts, Jesus. And Jesus answered him. Here he goes again. Truly, truly, I say to you. What is he saying? That wasn't a metaphor, Nick. That wasn't a joke. I'm serious about being born again. You're joking. I'm serious. And look what he says. Unless, now he uses a little bit different phrase. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot not just see, but enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so for you and me, we read that. And especially if you don't understand Old Testament, like Nicodemus would have gotten right away. And we get this, like if I use a term um, right now, if I use some kind of term, like one of my favorite movies, you can cast me out, judge me, is Dumb and Dumber. So if somebody's like complaining about their life and they're going, man, I've got no job. Like we just don't have food. Immediately the words, our pet's heads are falling off, comes out of my head. Okay. And I apologize for that. But that's just because I know that movie so well. And you do the same thing when you think about a certain movie and something that's going to happen. I am Iron Man, right? Nowadays, we could just finish the sentence. Well, they knew the scripture like you know your favorite movie, your favorite song, your favorite lyric. And so when they hear words together, they're going right back to scripture. 
because they know it. They hear it. It's in their soul. They've memorized it from being a little kid. They know it. Jesus uses, and he says, listen, I ain't playing around with, it's not a metaphor. This is serious. You have to be reborn, rethink. I'm not something that, that what I'm trying to teach and who I am, what I bring is not an additive to your life. I'm not just a new software update. I'm a whole operating system. You need to be rebirthed, reborn, change the way you think completely because what you're doing and how you're living is wrong. And you imagine at this point, Nick was kind of hanging out like sarcastic. Now he's going, Wait, what? Because Jesus does this amazing thing. He takes him to Scripture. Let me show you the Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 36. When you see reference, you see it also in the book of Isaiah. You see references of water and the Spirit together. And Nicodemus would have caught this right away. And so Jesus isn't just saying, this isn't just what I'm saying. This is what your Scripture says. Everything you've built your life on is what is saying what I've been saying and what I'm trying to get to you. Do you understand how humili- how uh, humble that would be and humiliating for Nicodemus? This 30-year-old dude is telling him, everything you understand about Scripture and the very way that I'm doing and the very the way Scripture is, everything you've built your life on, the way fundamentally you view Scripture is wrong. Do you understand how crazy this conversation is? And here's what he says when he thinks of water and spirit. Ezekiel, this is I, I being God speaking. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanlinessness and from all your idols. You're dirty, you're in your sin. I'm going to come and sprinkle water on on you, and I'm going to even get rid of your heart motivations, your idols that are teaching you and taking you the wrong way. I will cleanse you. I'm in a clean house. And he says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put in you water, spirit, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, a soft heart. Being able to hear me, not a hard heart that does what it wants and has its own agenda. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. They had already had the law at this point. He's saying it's not enough to have the law. You need something totally different. The law, not that the law is bad, we're not taking and abolishing the law, but you need a new heart to even attempt to do it because you want to go your own way. The problem is that you need more teaching. You need a whole new way of thinking and living. And again, imagine, imagine with me for a second, Nicodemus hearing this through his ears. Everything, you're telling me, Jesus, everything that I've built And what I'm thinking of and thinking about God is wrong because fundamentally I'm trying to earn my way and build my way into something. This terminology of born again, it's funny because in our culture, we think of a born again, born again Christian, right? You think of some fundamentalist, like bigoted, maybe hypocritical person that you know knows the Bible but doesn't live it, and they're just becoming a born again Christian. We don't know them. And listen, Jesus is talking to the person that we would put in that capacity, religious, 
knows, has his own sect, has been set apart and outside of the world and just kind of living his little life. That's who Jesus is talking to. And Jesus is telling that guy he needs to be born again. Maybe being born again is not what we think it is. Maybe Jesus is going, listen, you need to understand, if that guy who has memorized the scripture and given his life devotion to God needs to be born again, maybe I do. Maybe we all do. Maybe God's saying, you notice in Ezekiel, you see the main word, I, 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 me, me. Maybe there's a work that only God can do. And I can't save myself. It's my good works and my good deeds and just being better, being my best self. And I love Enneagram, but Enneagram will not save you. Like, I can't just discover and go more into me to figure out who I am Nicodemus was the perfect person for this, and Jesus just goes off. Now, now imagine, I, I think about this, and I think about if you've, if you've believed something your whole life and loved something your whole life, and then all of a sudden Jesus says, what you thought it meant is not what it meant. Like, I, I, I'm so probably fleshy. I go to my 13-year-old dance with my beautiful wife who was on stage earlier, Casey Pay, because we've known each other since we were nine. And I remember I had a dance party in our apartment and we're dancing and we're jamming and Casey's there and we've got boys to men, right? Okay, sorry, I'm dating myself. We've got boys to men and I, I got that bad boy on repeat because I ain't leaving, right? And it's all just end of the road, though I can't let you. Know, we're singing that, I'll make love to you. And I'm 13 years old. Will you... And I'm just like, this is a groovy, this is amazing. And my life, now I think about it, I'm like, my kid ain't ever listened to that stuff while dancing with a girl at 13. What was, I think, the way I felt and interpreted it then is very different than the way I see now. And I think Nicodemus is going, uh. and typically when that happens, there's two responses. Either you humble yourself and you go, teach me, Lord. Or you start rationalizing yourself and going, you're crazy. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, he says it again. Listen, I'm not playing around this, right? Unless one is born of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a difference between you being birthed earthly in flesh and in sin and what God is doing in a new birth that only comes from God. And I love this. Verse 7, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, this isn't a new idea. This is all through scripture. You've just interpreted it wrong. Oh, how humiliating. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, this word wind, when the Bible talks about the spirit of God, it uses the word wind. Actually, ruach in Hebrew is wind or breath. Pneuma in the Greek, when it refers to the spirit, is wind or breath. So when the spirit blows, when he moves, it goes where it wishes. You can't control it. You can't harness it. You can't make God do something yourself because you earned it. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. There's something that happens where God illuminates. He brings, listen, from your thinking, I'm going to memorize things, but I don't realize what God is doing in my life. 
Nicodemus had a lot of memorizing, but he never realized the true story. And Jesus is having to come and shoot very straight, truly, truly. Only God can do this, and you are depending on yourself and your own works instead of looking above and saying, God, I need you to animate my life, recreate my heart, because that takes a lot of humility. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How, how could I have gotten it wrong? How is this right? I see what you're saying because you're not just appealing to your own authority, but you're looking at the scripture, which is my authority. How can this be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? <laughs> Jesus hardcore. And yet you don't understand these things? Like, what are you reading when you read the Bible? Oh, yeah, you're reading things to justify and add to your life to have a better life. That's harsh. Here he goes. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak. He's talking about himself. I think he's talking referring to Scripture. He's putting himself as authority of God and his disciples. We speak of what we know. And bear witness to what we have seen. We're back to seeing, entering. But you do not receive our testimony. This is interesting. The word you hear, I love this because I'm born and raised in Texas. I had a little spout in California. Um, but I ended up back in Texas. I, I love to, I'm proud to be a Texan. Um, and so I, I, I like being in Texas. And there's something powerful about this. The word you here is you all or y'all in the Greek. It uses that a lot. When the, when the Bible, when Jesus looks at the people and he says, you are salt and light. He's not talking about an individual. He's talking about y'all are salt and light. That's what the actual Greek is. It's a plural. And here he's saying, y'all believe. This is Jesus is Texan. Y'all believe. If I've told y'all earthly things and y'all don't believe. How can y'all believe if I tell you heavenly things? See, Jesus just got to draw. No one has ascended into heaven except, sorry, Jesus, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Look, he throws his cards on the table. He says, I have authority because I come from heaven. And I'm going back. I mean, this is, Nicodemus would have understood this in the book of Daniel, the son of man. He would have understood it in Psalm. He would have been going, oh my gosh, you are telling me you're God. Like you are telling me you're Messiah. You're being explicit with it. We go, well, the Bible doesn't really say Jesus is God. And he's going, you're saying you're God because he knows the scripture. No one is ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. He said, we know what, we know, I, I know what I've seen and I have a level of authority. And then the dagger, verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. What is he talking about? I don't have time to go into all the details, but if you go and study Numbers chapter 21, you will see that the children of Israel have sinned against God and God allows snakes to enter into their camp and they start biting all a lot of them and they get diseases end up some of them dying and Moses pleads before God what do we do and God says get a snake and turn it into bronze put it on a stick and hold it up and as they look at that snake bronze snake on a stick the Bible's weird isn't it bronze snake on a stick they will all be healed and that's exactly what happened 
Jesus goes number, numbers 21 on this fool now, right? And he's going, just like Moses lifted a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That serpent cleansed them, healed them, brought restoration back to them as they looked to it. What was he saying? So must the Son of Man is going to be, me, I'm going to be lifted up as well. What is he referring to? The cross. And salvation is going to come not when you just do and finally become the better you, but when you look to me as Savior, because I'm representing that snake is, 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 is the Satan, the one that captured the hearts. And the Bible says Jesus became, not Satan, but he became sin. I represent sin, and I am going to go through my grace and truth to bat for you for salvation. When you look at me, you will be saved. Not when you look at you and what you must do. Look at me and you will be saved. He's being so explicit. He says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, we love this verse. You see it everywhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We usually stop there. and Man, it's so amazing. But you see grace and truth if you read the whole thing. Look at this. That's tons of grace. Thank you, God. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God's goal wasn't to condemn, but here's his goal. But in order that the world might be saved through him. God wishes all men and women and children to be saved. All creation to be saved. And then he says this, whoever believes in him, the, the word whoever in the Greek means whoever, you're welcome, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And those in Christ Jesus said, amen, thank you, Lord. I'm not condemned to judgment because my sin was placed on him. I'm in him but, oh wait, okay, Jesus, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness. Nick, you came to me at night because you really, even though you look like you're holy, you love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Even, the, even your good works with the intent of just making yourself look good is evil at the end because it leads people to you and it makes you deceived and to think that works is going to lead you ultimately to God. And it's God that we see in Ezekiel 36 that's going to have to come and change and transform, not me. The wind blows where it likes. I do my part. This doesn't mean you just sin and do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, it's about him and what he's going to do. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed for what they are. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's fitting, I think, that Jesus uses these words in response 
to Nicodemus, and he shares with him really the story. Here's the goal. Your problem is you're looking to yourself, you're relying on yourself, your hope is in yourself, and you cloud it and you hide it in God. But really, at the end of the day, your agenda is to make God an additive in your life. Like, I'd like a little bit of this and a little bit of that because it's going to help me get to the next level, help me look really good. And Jesus coming and saying, everything that you believe is not right. At the end of the day, you have to humble yourself and say, it's not about me. And I have to look to a cross that shows both the grace and the truth of God, kissing the truth that that should be me, that that took the blood of Christ to heal me and the grace that he was willing to do it. And now that there is a way and I can come, let me ask you a question. What does that mean? How do I know I'm looking to Jesus and not to other things? I think one way you can know is how you respond to sin. You've probably sinned this week. I'm sure I have. And in that sin, what was your response? Was your response, okay, God, I messed up. Okay, I'm just going to get better. I'm just going to add a little bit more, more Jesus, more Bible study, because that's what's going to, like, I'm just going to get a little bit more. I'm going to go to church and feel better. Or a lot of us, usually what happens is we sin, and our response is then slowly to kind of back away. I'm afraid of God because I have done something wrong, and i got to get away from God. I certainly wouldn't come to church and lift my hands because I'm dirty and ugly. Because my idea of being right with God is me doing right things. When a Christian sins, that's looking to the cross, we've gotten away from the cross through deception, through deceit, through our own heart, being taught how to navigate, but coming around, when we sin, it now becomes something where I realize I've looked away and I've stopped looking at the cross. And what I do is, oh yeah, you are my savior. Oh yeah, I tried to do it my way. Oh yeah, it's you. And now I'm actually drawn to Christ. Not that I sin in order to get that, but a Christian goes, it was never me in the first place. What makes me think I'm gonna be able to get myself out of this? Jesus, I need you. And a Christian responds to sin and is reminded of what Christ has done. And now the more I do that, the more I'm not sinning, the more I'm actually depending and relying on God and the Spirit of God is moving and my heart is changing and I'm making Him Lord because I'm looking to Him ultimately for my salvation, not myself. Will you stand to your feet? Some of you in here are believing for God to move in your life and do some amazing things. And I think we need to believe. We need to ask God to animate our existence, the things that we're doing. Only you can do it. You've got to blow your wind on it in order for it to go. But some of us, it takes us forever to get to that point where just like Nicodemus, we don't know how he left. We know he helped bring the spices as Jesus' death because I think it all came together for him. But it took that death just like it does for you and me. But sometimes it takes a death to ourself to get to the end of ourself to realize I've done everything I can. I got nothing left. And it's not that God just doesn't work. It's that I'm still trying to do it on my own. And we got to get to the end of ourself and just lift our hand and say, I need a savior. 
I need a God. I need a Lord. Not just to get out of jail free card, but because you are everything. You are my hope. And when it's in you, man, I'm steadfast. Maybe in here you need to ask God to change your heart from stone to flesh. And I need a new heart. Maybe in here there are some things and circumstances where you've gone to the end of them and you're going, God, you've got to breathe in this. I'm not moving until you breathe. And that's where you are today in that humility state. I'm going to you and I'm trusting in you. Wherever you are, I want to end today. We're going to pray at the end, but I want to end right now with some worship and just going to the Lord, speaking and praying and making this our song, our hearts cry. My hope is in you and I give you everything. You change as I look to Christ. You heal. In Jesus' name, let's sing.